Hi, this is Sebastian Jones, president of Stranger Comics, and you're listening to Top 5 Comics. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today's episode is going to feature CBS, that would be me. Master Disaster uh, is busy running a restaurant, and the uh, second suitor is out delivering your mail. So uh, you got me today. The rest of the cast is doing other things too, so you know, it is what it is. But, uh, I'm CBS. This is episode number 200. As a thing, this is going to be a little bit different episode too, because it's going to have a lot of interviews. Uh, so uh, as listeners of the show know, I was out in Wonder- at WonderCon uh, this past March and got to do a batch of different interviews with different actors and different uh, directors and different uh, celebrity types. Uh, this particular episode, we're going to be going through some of those interviews dealing with Batman the Doom that came to Gotham, uh, which is a DC animated movie based on a Mike Mignola comic book that was put out back in 2000. Um, into 2000, beginning 2001. It was a three-part miniseries. There were fatter books done up uh, as a uh, Elseworlds book back when the Elseworlds was still an imprint. Short concept for it is that it's set in the 1920s, and Batman, along with others, accidentally released a ancient buried evil, and now he's got to return to Gotham to deal with the problem. You know, as you do. And as far as... uh. The series is concerned. The styling for it is 1920s done. And, and of course, Mike, Mike Mignola's got a dark edge to things. I guess the shortest explanation would be it's kind of like Batman versus Cthulhu. Kind of. Um, without it being actually Cthulhu. Uh, but good stuff. So the comic book was written by Mike Mignola and a guy named Richard Pace. Um, of course, Mike did the covers for it. It was drawn by uh, Troy Nixie. And then we had uh, Dave Stewart on the colors and uh, a dude named Dennis uh, Janke on the inks. Um, anyway, the book came out back in 2000, like I said. Uh, the movie adaption is written by a dude named uh, Jace Ricci. It's R-I-C-C-I, which, Jace, we have an interview with him. He's one of the people that uh, I want to be able to sit down and talk with. I actually got to watch the movie with him uh, and David Desmonchin, who is a voice in the movie as well. Uh, that was pretty cool. So made for a different kind of viewing um, of the movie, uh, which was really neat. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, I'm also going to go through one book on the show this for this episode. That'll be Green Arrow number one uh, from 2023. This is a brand new series written by Joshua Williamson, and the art on it is by uh, Sean Isaacs. So that's what episode's going to be going over. Like I said, we, we a whole batch of interviews. Uh, one of the inter- interviews is going to be with uh, Christopher Gorman. He's the uh, voice of Green Arrow for the movie. He's also voiced The Flash in quite a few different DC animateds. And you may know him for TV. Um, he's been in a few shows. Then we have Tati Gabrielle. And she's playing the uh, the part of Kylie Kane, which is an amalgam of several Robins mixed together. So we have both of them on the show. And then now uh, we have the director, Sam Liu, uh, who directed this, well, this and a whole bunch of other DC animated movies. The guy's done a lot of stuff. Uh, so he's on the episode as well. And then we have the uh, co-director, Christopher Berkeley. So we wind up having five interviews all together. 
we'll get to that here in just a minute. As far as the movie's concerned, it just dropped back in March, so it's out in the world now. I, it's worth a watch. It, it was pretty. I, I enjoyed it, but it's got a different uh, tone than most other Batman movies. So, as far as the story is concerned, it's a very different thing. And since it's Elseworlds, all the rules are different, and you can do whatever you want, really, which is pretty cool. Anyway, before all of that, let's try to do a little bit of news. comic book news will start out with a little bit of uh, Marvel stuff. Uh, so Marvel's made an announcement they're going to be putting out three new What If one-part stories. Uh, they're set to come out July and August uh, this year. And uh, the titling that connects them is going to be What If Dark. And so the first one is titled What If Dark Loki. And uh, what we know about so far is that this issue comes... Uh, from writer uh, Walter Simonson, who is like classic writer, and the art is going to be by Scott Eaton, and it looks like Loki is taking over Asgard. So, as a thing, it seems to be the uh, spin of Loki wound up actually taking over Asgard, and it's supposed to be like the worst day of Asgard, is what the last line of the little write-up said. So that should be pretty cool. I mean, it's it's Simonson writing it, so that's awesome. Uh, the second title they're listed is What If Dark Spider-Gwen. And now that title, I think, is a tiny bit misleading, but what the issue is supposed to have is it's got legendary writer Gary Conway, along with co-writer Jody Hauser, teaming up to return to the day on the bridge with Peter and Gwen that ended in tragedy. However... In this particular version of the world, the roles of who lived and who died have been reversed. Um, it's cool because we have the class, the dude who wrote the original story, and the Jody's good. Like she's great. I, I like her a lot. That should be really cool. Uh, the third one, they don't have a write-up for it out yet, so I, I guess we'll see. Maybe in the next couple weeks, we'll get one of those. But the third one's listed as "What If Dark Venom." And uh, they've got it listed for the writer being Stephanie Williamson, and uh, the artist, artist on it being Jethro Morales. So, I mean, those are both good names. Don't have a actual write-up teased. It's the it's the later in the group. That one's supposed to come out in August, so it makes sense there's not a write-up yet. But that should be really cool. They're also going to be doing a F- Loki-featured series... That's going to be coming out, uh, I want to say it's in late July. No, late June. And uh, what what we're dealing with is Loki hunting down a batch of uh, missing artifacts. Uh, it's a mini-series, and so the way they've got it built is that the God of Stories is introduced uh, to a collection of ancient Norse weapons, and uh, Loki's got to hunt them down through space, or on space, or in space and in Earth. Uh, but Loki must track them, track them down to keep the weapons from falling into the wrong hands. So it's a it's a hero story for him. It's a miniseries, and uh, I mean that write up sounds pretty cool. We haven't had really a normal Loki like standalone in a minute, so I think that'll be neat. Uh, other Marvel news. Well, things aren't looking so great for Jonathan Majors, and at this point, Marvel hasn't actually said anything about King Dynasty. Uh, what we understand so far 
is that Mr. Majors had him, got himself involved in a domestic dispute altercation, which has resulted in a couple things happening. Now, initially he was arrested, and there's been stuff that's come out since then that has made it sound like the only option the officers had was to arrest him because of the situation in hand, which is also hard to say with he said, she said stuff going on. Uh, what we know is that his PR firm dropped him, and that uh, the clothing line that he is hand in hand modeled for has suggested it not be a good idea for him to come to the Met Gala event uh, here in a few months. Which, okay, they haven't dropped him, but uh, they did disinvite him to the party. And then, like, there's a batch of websites that have this text message that is very long that. Uh, supposedly has been sent from the female in the altercation to Jonathan after his initial arrest, apologizing for the situation and how it's her fault and she realized what she did was wrong and all this other stuff that's in there and something about her going after his phone. But since the initial announcement of the um, incident... There have been a few other people who have now thrown their hat in the ring um, against Mr. Majors. So it may be one of those things where just a bunch of people trying to glam on to, I can make a buck. And if that's the case, I mean, it's really unfortunate, considering, I mean, the dude's finally coming into his, you know, stride, I think, in, in popularity and fame. I mean, he's in Creed, and he's great in that. Uh, he was in that, um, oh gosh is the Lovecraft Country series. And that was good. I, I'm not sure why. It just, probably just didn't have enough, the amount of followers the network expected. But again, it was like out of nowhere. So, but the show is good. If you get a chance, check it out. And of course, as King, I feel like he's done a good job. And then he was in, oh gosh, that pilot movie. Um, I cannot remember the name of it. Um, that would be a Tyler Brown lookup thing, but uh, I because he's not here... I do not remember the name of the film, but I have seen it. Aviators, maybe? No, that's not right. I can't remember it. Um, just look up his IMDb. And he's fantastic in that, too. Uh, again, fantastic actor. I mean, as far as person, I don't really know anything about the guy. I've never met him in life. Everything we've seen from his red carpet appearances and, like, the few pieces of footage that are not film footage, I mean, he seems to carry himself very well. So it's hard to say, um, but I mean, none of us knew Ezra Miller was crazy till he went off the deep end. And the, it's that second, oh man, I really do wish one of the guys was here right now, is that second trailer for Flashpoint, oh my god, it is so good. It, it, we've got so much Michael Keaton in it, we see we see Batfleck, it is, uh, man, it is a great trailer, my gosh. So when it comes to on screen, off screen. I mean, real life is totally different, of course. And everybody, you know, there's lots of people that have issues and things that happen. I mean, the world's a crazy place. So, I guess we will see what happens with that. Again, Marvel hasn't really said anything. But just from being a Marvel comic fan, well, I mean, King's a time traveler, and rewriting the future is kind of what the dude does. So, I guess if it winds up being a situation where... They have to remove Jonathan from the project, or from this series. Well, 
And because it's a time traveler, it's not the hardest thing to do. Especially when there's all these different versions of him. And yeah, we saw a bunch of them at the end of Ant-Man. And I don't hope, I I really do hope that whatever it is gets sorted out. uh, Because I feel like the man's a decent actor and I, I, I enjoy him as the role. So, I mean, it's... It's one of those things, until we know more stuff, it's hard to say what the truth really is. Um, but, so that's kind of depressing, or unsettling, I guess. Uh, to stick with that theme, I guess, um, Mr. Brett Favre, along with a few other folks, uh, have uh, recently come into issue with Mississippi, the state of, uh, regarding money that was meant to go to needy families that somehow got loopholed into a Ponzi scheme, and I, Brett's on the, the way we understand it, really, at least from a little bit, is that Brett was somehow mixed up in that too. And his uh, appeal for dismissal on the charges against him, of course, the judge uh, has denied that. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I feel like it's him and then Ted DiBiase Jr. And that name, for those of us from the 80s, should be remembered only because of the Million Dollar Man from uh, WWE. But yes, they are connected to that same family that is also at the heart of this thing, apparently. So, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. And unfortunate. So, uh, I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, they're talking about the tune of like $80 million, so it's crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Outside of that, I mean, we are getting ready to hit um, a little bit more comic book stuff. We're ready to hit Flash 800 and Wonder Woman 800, which uh, Wonder Woman 800 is going to result in a, after the book, we're going to get a new brand new series with a new uh, story start, new issue number one. And uh, because they're anniversary issues or legacy number issues, they're both going to be bigger books and have a lot of covers that that are going to be available for them. So that's really cool, just because they're both hitting legacy numbers again. Um, I like that. So, I mean, there you go, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess after that, I don't have a lot of news, I guess. It's better when the guys are here to do that stuff with me. So sorry for that. But uh, we are doing an episode here in a couple days for the Men Who Look Bad in Spandex, and I assume by that point, uh, well, the world will have more information about all the things I just talked about. And uh, Mr. Max is always on the pulse of that, so it will be another episode to check in on. Um, if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's the, one of the other podcasts that uh, we are associated with. But yeah, you can find it on uh, basically all the same platforms we're on. Uh, that one is The Men That Look Bad in Spandex. And uh, we can always use more followers over there, too. So give it a listen. And this episode is going to be very pop culture because we have all the interviews from WonderCon. So this isn't like really a normal episode. But, you know, that's what happens. So, uh, after that, I guess we'll go ahead and move into uh, the only book of the night, which has kind of a... has one segue into the Doom that came to Gotham, as in it's a Green Arrow book, and Green Arrow's in that movie. So, it's not really a connection, but kind of. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers... Anyhow, uh, so we're going to start with that. So this is uh, issue one of Green Arrow. This is from the 2023 runs, the brand new run from this year. Uh, this guy is uh, 
written by uh, Joshua Williamson, and uh, the artist on it is Sean Isaacs, fantastic artist and good writer. I feel like his Batman run was cut short because of Chip Zdarsky's popularity. Anyhow, um, so yeah, art's good, covers are good. There's a variant cover by Frank Cho. Uh, I feel like there's there's one other variant cover. I can't remember who did it, uh, but the Frank Cho is a Black Canary cover, so that's cool. So when the book opens up, we find Oliver um, on the ground, and uh, he's muttering to himself. Uh, he says, "Pretty bird, turn turn off the ocean sound, and come back to bed." And uh, at that point, we see a flood of water rush over his face, and he wakes up in shock. And he's like, "Oh!" And what he says is, he says, "Oh hell, not again!" As he hits the water and he hits the ground at the beach, and he's like, "How does this keep happening to me?" Because he's washed up on islands before. Um, it's a hallmark for the poor man. Uh, we turn from that page to see a giant two-panel spread, which has... Well, he's been on islands before. This particular island, though, has an entirely different style of flora fauna, and appears to have a giant... I don't know, like a giant steel city? There's all these, what look like buildings in the background, and gelatinous bricks that are shaped into buildings... It looks like a fantasy sci-fi world. Um, Plants with weird tentacle things sticking out of them is very different than the island that we know him from being on. And uh, there's a monologue going on through most of this book that's Oliver explaining things to us. What's great about this particular book is if you've never read a Green Arrow book and you only kind of understand him, this gives us, like, backstory, character introductions, the whole nine yards to get the story moving. So, uh... Well, yeah, like I said, when it first opens up, uh, the explanation on the front of the thing, he says, uh, this is not what I expected either. Because, again, we're inside his head and hearing what his thoughts are. And he's like, but this is hardly the first time I've been trapped someplace far, far away from home. And he says, let's rewind a bit so I can tell you how he got here. And we cut from there to the next page, which is a flashback of him as a young man. And he's yelling at this waitress at a restaurant, and it goes, again, this is all like inner monologue. He's like, yeah, that's me. I was that guy. I was born with a silver spoon, shoved in my you-know-where. Which is it's funny. He, Oliver's always been more, uh, I guess, more gritty, I guess. He's like, oh, but you can't hate me too much yet. Uh, that comes later. And he's like, oh. And then, after all that, this happened. And we see him plunged into the water... Next thing we see is him on the on an island and dressed in you know rags with his big beard. He's got a makeshift bow and arrow. He's like, and then this happened, and we cut to him in full like green arrow, uh, men in tights outfit. And he's like, ah, and then next thing you know, I'm wearing green pajamas and jumping off buildings. The next scene is a shot of him and Merlin, and it says, trained with some bad people, and Merlin's like, if you don't know who Merlin is, Merlin is. Not the wizard from Camelot, but uh, it's Green Arrow's main arch. Uh, it's a another archer who wears black instead of green, I guess. And he's nefarious. Um, anyway, so the scene these all kind of flow together as like a timeline, sort of. So we go from that scene to a scene with him, and he says, "Work with some good people," and it's got him and Hal Jordan, and they're both smiling, buddy buddy style. And he's like, "I did everything I could." To make the world a better place. And it shows him with the Justice League. And it's got the classic team. 
um, from the uh, like the J JLA style. So it's him, Canary, Aquaman, Flash, Adam, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Hal. And it says then after that it shows a shot of a uh, Doomsday, and it's got a shot of an arm sticking out of the ground that's a bloody arm. And it says, but the universe wanted more from me. And it shows Oliver walking away. And it, the way things went down at the end of the Parallax storyline, that's what this is representing. I mean, Oliver's had to do some questionable things in life, and kill, including his, killing his best friend. So, I mean, the guy's not had an easy path in the books. And then his monologue says, but the universe wanted more from me. And we cut to we see a, 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 a shot of hands holding a uh, female hand in its Green Arrow's glove. And it says, My name is... And we turn the next two-page spread into a giant spread that says Green Arrow and has all the credits on the page. And it says, uh, Reunion Part 1. So the beginning of the series story is Reunion. And uh, so very uh, very theatrical the way it plays out. Uh, we cut from the two-page spread with the titling. And it's more inner monologue. Again, like I said, this book's full of inner monologue. And it says, shooting arrows isn't the biggest thing that changed from me after leaving the island. Before I washed up upon the beach, I never considered myself a family man. And the picture we see beneath that is got three folks on motorcycles. One red, one black, and one green. And if you know the casting, you know who these people are. Um, and they're racing down this street, speeding through cars, chasing something. Uh, we see an overhead shot where we see them go through some water. And he says... I never wanted to settle down or have kids. But again, the universe had different ideas for me. And we got two of them on the back of the bikes talking, and it says, perhaps my... F well, the one says, so, who they are, the red bike, which we get to a page in just a second that reveals who they are. I'm going to cut the chase because, I, in theory, we should know who they are. So the red bike is Red Arrow Arsenal. The green bike is Connor Hawk, Green Arrow's son. And the black bike is the bomb bond shell, the black canary. And so we have Connor talking to Black Canary, and he says, Oh, perhaps my father really isn't dead. And she says, Well, you heard what Mr. Terrific said. And we cut from there to a scene as a flashback to an issue um, during Dark Crisis, the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths number six. In that book, we found out as they were all being pulled back to their homeworld, something diverted Oliver away. And so the idea of him being dead was what people thought, but after talking to Mr. Trivik, he explained to the Black Canary that whatever it is that grabbed him pulled him from the stream that was bringing everyone else home and left no traces behind, and they, they're like, there's no way, there's there's no loose, no loose arrows to find the green arrow. And then we cut from there to a scene of Roy and uh, Connor, and the voiceover is supposed to be Hawkman's voiceover, because it's got his logo in the top corner, and it says... We lost one green arrow to find another one. That can't be a coincidence. And so in the grand scheme of the comic books, during New 52, Connor didn't exist. And until this stuff with Dark Crisis and Rebirth, he just wasn't around. Like, they left him out of the stories and had cut past him back to a younger green arrow, and we were trying to do something different. And they weren't bad stories, but, I mean, at this point, we've shaken the tree and... Things are now aligned where all stories are stories somehow. Don't ask questions. Next scene we see, uh, it's uh, Connor talking to Roy. And he's like, oh, 
you really think this is the right move going to Gotham? And uh, Roy says, well, the, what I heard from Jason, and there's this like cool kind of silhouette of Jason Todd in the background while he's talking about him. He talks. He tells him that, well, the fingerprints that he found are going to lead lead us to where we need to be probably. And this van, as soon as we got close to it, started hightailing it and shooting at us. So that means something. And next thing we see is they screech to a halt and we find this van full of a mixed match of villains. Not necessarily named characters, but we got one really big guy in a clown mask. We have another guy with a Riddler hood on. Another guy dressed kind of like one of the Penguins guys. So it's a mixed match of thugs from different gangs. And they all jump out, and they're the one big guy the, with the clown mask says, Oh, you want to see if bullets are better than arrows? And the canary's like, Oh, yeah, let's see. And we get another voiceover from Oliver explaining that when she makes that face, it's never a good idea for anybody. Um, so, from that panel, it says, Allow me to introduce you to everyone. And we cut to the scene of each one of them doing different things. And it talks about Roy Harper. And Roy was Speedy, the original Green Arrow sidekick. Then he's Arsenal. Then after Arsenal is Red Arrow. And he says he's the best marksman in the world, I should know. And then he shows a shot of them when they were, when he, they were both younger, uh, playing the Batman Robin style roles, where Roy's in his red uniform and he's a kid. So before all the drug stuff happened. And he's like, talk to him about how when you shoot, you have to watch for where they're going to be, not just where they are. And we cut to the shot of Connor Hawk. And it says, AKA the Green Arrow and my son. And it says the fact is he's earned the name multiple times over. And it shows a shot of him um, in a dojo when he was younger. And he says, I was never around to raise him as a kid. I, that was what makes me feel like the worst scumbag of everything that's ever happened. Is that I wasn't around for him to raise him. And we cut from that scene to the canary using the canary cry and taking out almost all the gang by herself. And it says, of course, it gives her an introduction too. It says, Black Canary. Diana Lance, the pretty bird. And, uh, it talks about how how she's been the biggest influence on his life, really. She's the one that made him less of a scumbag. And that, uh, as a thing, she's the one that keeps him wanting to be good. And, uh, we get some scenes of them when they were with the Justice League, so flashback scenes again, you know, older costumes, different stuff going on. And he talks about how the, she's the one that makes him balanced and stuff like that. Anyway, there's a lot more dialogue to that than that, but without just reading the whole book, it's not going to work. From there, we caught a shot of Roy Harper, and he's uh, getting ready to take out a dude, and, and he says to himself, as this guy runs down the alley, he's like, watch where they're going to be, not where they are. And he leads the arrow and shoot. And the very next page, and this is kind of awesome, we see this same thug who he's just about to shoot the arrow at. All of a sudden, this, this girl in a cat, well, this girl in a jogging suit and hoodie wearing a cat mask takes the dude out backflips over this fence double drop kicks him lays the dude out and all three of them are like oh my god that's awesome who are you that's great and Roy like walks over towards her and he's like what's your name kid and we see that she's also grabbed the arrow he had shot so he did shoot the arrow she just interrupted it and she throws the arrow back and she goes Cheshire Cat which there are a couple characters that have that name. Well, they're connected, though. It's all coming later. Gosh. Well, you see, where she really threw the arrow wasn't at them. It was through them to take out the thug in the back who was sneaking up behind them in the Riddler costume with a gun. And they're all, like, shocked that they missed that one. So she takes out the last guy left. And uh, from there, the guy's like, oh, man, are there, uh, Connor, 
He's like, oh, this is a dangerous crew that runs around with these guns. He goes, hey, Kat, have you ever seen them before? And she's like, oh, they're just low-level henchmen. Whenever their leaders aren't around, the Joker, Riddler, Penguin, they just run around town causing problems, hassling families, kidnapping, stealing things. You know, the usual. And uh, Roy's like, well, they're, they'll, they'll, and they're back on the street with no problem? And then you see Cheshire kind of adjust her hood, and she turns to walk away. And she's like, good luck getting any cops down here into Alley Town. Maybe your colorful costumes will get people down here to pay attention. And uh, she's like, nice teaming up with you anyway, and gets ready to just bail. And then we see a, the very bottom panel is so freaking cool, actually. Because we have some dialogue from off screen. And it says, you threw your first ninja star when you were only two years old. And then we have this side silhouette of her costumed face, the hood with the mask. In the very middle, the stripe goes through it that shows the underneath. And we see it's a girl with blue hair. And she is shocked by what she's just been told. And then we cut to see Roy, who is approaching her. And he goes, I was so angry at your mom for teaching you. But I couldn't have been prouder. And she gets ready to climb up the fence. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he pulls off his mask. He's like, I would know you anywhere. You always loved to wear costumes at Halloween. But you didn't have a sweet tooth, which was great for me because I got to eat all the candy. It was just an excuse for you to put on a costume. And we see this flashback to Roy as a younger man with his daughter, who is another character that hasn't been in the universe since New 52. And became part of the storyline during the during the later issues of uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws when he was trying to figure out what had happened to her. And Roy's had a rocky, weird past, too. Like, at one point, he was a Black Lantern. It's crazy. And would take an entirely different episode to try to explain, probably. Anyhow, up until now, we haven't seen anything of her. Like, straight up didn't exist. Just like Wally West's kids, um, which led to all that... Um, Heroes in Crisis, and Flash Forward. Anyway, um, there's some more voiceover, but it's Roy, it's Roy Harper voiceover, talking about with him being, when she was young, she he used to let her stay up late and watch radar movies with him, like action flicks. And he's like, my daughter was only five years old, and, and she was taken from me. And then we see a scene of him being, of him like putting away her stuff and cleaning up this bed. And he's like, it was the worst day of my life. I know my daughter anywhere. I've been looking for you for so long. And, uh, I mean, he goes on a little longer. There's some more dialogue. It's actually really great. It's it's fantastic. And we see her take off the mask on the other side, and we see a tear in her eye. And the very next page, we cut to her running towards him and see her jump into his arms. And we get this cool flashback scene behind them. Like, the art is really great. Right? It, the, it's so good. Where we have Roy in the middle, and he's holding the daughter. And then we have behind them in the background... Him as a younger man with a flat top and her in her own version of the Speedy uniform back when she was still like, I don't know, four or something. And we see Canary and we see Connor and they're both just like smiling. And she looks at them, she runs over them, she's like, Annie Diana, Uncle Connor. And, and Diana's like, oh, kid, you got so big. And Connor's like, oh, I love the hair color, this is crazy. And he's like, oh, and then Roy hugs her again and he says, I missed you so much. He goes, does anybody else know but me? Meaning that she's out vigilanting. And she says, well, I think Mom suspects, but you know, Mom, she's always had her own life to live. And the truth about Cheshire, so her mom is the original Cheshire. And Cheshire is basically like, think 
like uh, Razzle Ghoul's daughter. That's not what Cheshire is, but it's the same kind of idea. She's a lineage of a clan of ninja people, and they're bound to do bad because ninjas. So, her hooking up with Roy was to, not just to, to because they, they were in love with each other, and they're from opposite sides of the track, and then eventually, you know, the whole stuff with the daughter happened, and then we wrote her out of the universe, and now we're trying to explain it. But that's why there's multiple Cheshires, because her mom was Cheshire first. And he's like, well, you don't, you, you know, you don't have to come with us, but if you, if you want to, you're welcome. And she tells him, oh, we can never be together because he's like, no, no, take your time. It's fine. And she said, no, you don't understand. They'll never let our family be together. And he's like, what do you mean? And then the very next scene, we see Connor sort of fading out with blue, almost like a think like Star Trek teleporter. And we see she's changing also, and she says, find Amanda Waller, and then she fades all the way out, and uh, Roy reaches for her, and by then his hand reaches through the what's left of the ghost apparatus of her from the teleport or the transportation. And Diana's like, Connor, Connor, Roy, what is going on? And we see Harper pick up the mask, the Cheshire mask, off the ground that she had dropped. He's like, where the blank bleep censored is Amanda Waller. From there, we get another voiceover. It says, it's Green Arrow again, because it has Oliver's uh, logo, and it's green. It says, don't get angry yet. There's plenty more to be mad about. And we turn to the next page, and we see we're in the future again, with all these crazy buildings, and the gelatinous, like the square-shaped energy blocks that appear to be buildings. It says, this story's just getting started. And we see the uh, teleporty thing looking lights, and they're in the shape of uh, of uh, Leanne, the daughter. And she, I should have said that earlier. Anyway, and she basically teleports on top of this building, and she's like, Uncle Connor? <sighs> Dang it, I'm alone again. And from there, right behind her, this thing flies up and says, Come with us, human! And we see it's a giant robot guy that, from classic comics, you know it's a manhunter. So they're red with the blue faces, and you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy built him originally to police the universe, and then when they decided that the robots were too killy, they created the Green Lanterns to take out the robots. You know, like you do. And it, then the robot says, uh, there'll be no escape. And about that time we see his face explode. And it is pretty... I mean, it's awesome. It explodes, and in the middle of it we see this arrow with a set of buzz saws on the end of it, and little spinning dials. It's great. And uh, then we cut to see Oliver. However, Oliver has a full beard again, and his costume has meshes of, like, electronic-looking... I don't know, mesh, I guess? And his, his uniform is way more football patty than the way we saw him before. He, what he says is, I think you mean person, because it says no man at hand. Did I read that wrong? Come with us, human. Oh, the second line, I just skipped it, sorry. There'll be no escape. And before his face explodes, he's got one more line. He says, no man can, and then that's when the face explodes. I, I missed that part, sorry. Which makes Oliver's line make more sense when he's like, don't you mean no person? Which, I don't know, that's a little much, but okay, whatever. In the uh, voiceover box, it says, did you forget about me? We Oliver tells her, we gotta make time, kid, there's more of them coming. And they start running away, and she goes, was that a chainsaw arrow? 
He goes, well, you have to make do with what you have in, what you have in places where you're at. We see a shot of the Manhunter's face all blown out with the where the chains all went through. And we see three other Manhunters come following behind him. He's like, no human will escape. And he's chasing him down. And as they're running, he takes out three more arrows and blows them up. And he's like, this way. And she's like, and he calls her by name, Leanne. And she goes, do you know who I am? He's like, of course I know who you are. I knew you were coming because of this. And as we see another reveal, which is this crazy looking energy field with these rings floating in it. It looks to me like, this is not what it is. They tell us what it is in a second. But the way it looks, you gotta go back to Superman 1, Christopher Reeve's Superman, when they were showing the trial of Zod, Ursa, and uh, Non, and they're all being held in like a batch of rings that were moving and in a light. It looks like that except blue. And she's like, that thing looks familiar. He's like, oh, and this is gonna, I'm going to butcher this when we try. He says, it's a cosmic omniporter multiverse network system. I did good. That was, that was good. And she goes, uh, you made that up. He was like, yeah, I leave the big words to Barry. But it's a teleporter. And there's only a few of these mo- this model that are scattered throughout time and space. Is it brought you here? And she's like, well, can we use it to get... And about that time, she sees him pull an arrow, and he blows the thing up. Like, straight up destroys it, and she screams. She's like, we could use that to get home. And uh, Oliver says, nah, kid. There's only one truth here. We can never go home. And that's where the first issue ends. In all of its epicness. Um, as far as stories, like, I like Green Arrow a lot. I, 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 I'm a pretty big fan of him. Yeah, he's knockoff Batman, you know, with the beard. And when it comes to the TV series, like, I like Stephen Miller. Just, I think he's great, too. And in all honesty, the guy's fantastic. Nice dude. A uh, few interactions I've had with him in life. For a PH, he's pretty good. And as far as, like, his show, okay, it ran its course towards the end. It didn't get repeaty. But he has a different show called Heels. It's about being a wrestler. You should watch that if you haven't seen it. It's great. Um, anyway, when it comes to the character in the books, I've always kind of I've always liked him. And even when like Quiver, when Kevin Smith was writing it, uh, or when Phil Hester finished it, like all that stuff, I thought was great. Um, this book I like a lot. I mean, it's a crazy start, and wherever they are, however they are there, is wild. Um, I like the idea that we get Roy to see his daughter again. I like the idea that we have a central bad guy to try to go after with being Amanda Waller somehow. I like that we get the presence of all these characters together, and now they've all been dishuffled again. So, as far as the story's concerned, the stuff with the daughter is really great. Like, it's really cool. And that was one of the... Like, whenever they first started New 52, the idea that Roy, like, that whole part of his life was gone was very aggravating because the other pieces were still there, you know, the addiction and the time when he was arsenal and the other part with the daughter that, you know, he was the doting father over was just gone and it was very aggravating. So I like the idea she's back and I crux the story for him, obviously, is going to be to figure out how to get her back for good. And the idea that they've grown her up age-wise and and the idea that they've grown her up age-wise and given her own persona is really cool. So I'm pretty stoked for that. I mean, she's got, when it comes to the character, because she's raised a kid by both these two different factions, and one faction being very League of Assassins, 
there's elements to where they'd be like how Damien was trained and how Jason got trained after he was revived from the dead. So, like, as a student of uh, combat, she's born into it from both sides of the family. And I think that's really cool. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. I, as far as the series is concerned, I like Joshua Williamson. I think the dude's a good writer. Um, and Sean Isaacs, I, art-wise, I think he's great. I did a batch of books a while back with a, a friend of the show, Vito DeSante. And uh, those are, they're great. Um, if you ever get a chance to check out Stray, uh, you should. I mean, it is Batman, and I'm sure I've said, I know I've said it before on the show, but, uh, it's good stuff. That was, uh, that's Vito's book. Uh, anyway, as far as the score, man, I liked it a lot. So, it's gonna be higher than I, I mean, I'm gonna give it a four. And a quarter. Because I liked it a lot. I felt like it had a lot of really cool pieces. I feel like you've never read Green Arrow before. That you can come to this book and read it. And it'll iron out a bunch of the people and who they are. Because if you've never seen Connor, let's say you're a New 52 person, you've never even seen Connor Hawk before. Chances are me saying that name, you're like, I don't know what that is. But it's Green Arrow's son, and is something that existed before 2012. And as far as Roy's concerned, I mean, he's been Red Arrow, he's been Arsenal, so he's had a lot of, you know, he's been around for a long time. Uh, and so is the Canary. So they're readily accessible as far as characters through other books. Uh, whereas uh, Connor at this point, you know, we haven't really used him at all. And his time as Green Arrow is uh, more of a 90s thing. Anyhow, it'll be interesting to see where the book goes, and the idea we're playing with all those parts is really cool. So, yeah, like I said, I give it a four and a quarter. I think it's a great book as far as, like, a starting, and uh, I'm super excited to see what the rest of the series does. Unfortunately, I only get my score on that book. Maybe by proxy, if I get a couple of other boys to read it before we do the next episode, we'll see what the... See what they say about it if, uh, you know, we have a chance to circle around again. Anyhow, uh, see from there, we'll go and run you some of these interviews. Uh, again, these are from the uh, WonderCon. This is 2023. And uh, these are all folks that have worked on, well, so we have the two directors of the uh, Batman Doom that came to Gotham. And then we've got a couple of voice actors on it. I think... Uh, We'll go ahead and run the interview with uh, Sam Liu first. Uh, he's the main director on the movie. Uh, and he's done a bunch of other stuff for DC Animated. Um, so as far as the thing, the dude's been in the mix for quite a while. Um, so we'll go and run that for you. And we'll be back with you in just a second. You know, um, I think this is the one that I've had the most control over. Um... It was a project that uh, pitched that didn't expect them to actually accept. Um, it's very different. And, and I think it's because I, I really wanted to do a before story, you know. Uh, I, doing enough of these, I know it's very dangerous because fans are fans. And fans have a very sort of specific thing that they're fans of, right? And they don't like... A lot of them don't like a lot of change, right? And so, uh, but as a creator, again, it's kind of like, um, I, I just feel like I've done so many superheroes stories, uh, especially about Batman, uh, like that something renew was, uh, I think was kind of interesting to me. And, it's, and horror, but also, there's a video game that I was kind of playing. Um, I don't know if I could say it. It's called Bloodborne. Um, and, but it's like a cosmic horror 
something and I have, I'm not really an aficionado about it. Like, I haven't, you know, I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but there's something about like Asian cinema and the way that they tell stories and horror, again, like this game, which is from actually a few Japanese um, creative team. Um, there's something about it that leaves clues. It doesn't spell out everything for you. And I just feel like, especially with that community, right? It generates a lot of conversation. Um, I, myself, maybe when I was younger, maybe I wasn't a fan. I, I haven't really thought about that. But I just know, like, now that those things are kind of interesting to me. You know, um, I kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe this is going to get me in trouble. But I, I just kind of feel like modern cinema, there's a lot of over-explaining that happens. And I kind of miss just knowing enough to sort of keep you going and leaving some of it up to you to kind of... Yeah, there's a certain amount of it, but obviously not so ambiguous that you're lost, you know? But enough for you to basically follow the path, but for you to sort of figure out. And I think, especially in this movie, I think there's stuff to be connected if you are looking for it. Do you wear a berserk hat? Is Kintaro Miura a big inspiration for you, like, or was? Um, again, it's a Bloodborne hat, but it's, but Bloodborne is heavily, heavily based off of berserk. No, 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 no. I mute the brick. No, again, a lot of their symbols in the game, and I think that they've done interviews with, um, because oddly enough, his last name is Miyazaki, um, but um, but he's a big um, fan of Berserk. I think you know because you keep on your head. I'm like, you... I heard he said Miyazaki. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Bob, how fun was it to bring a Mike and Yula uh, Batman book to life? Um. You know, I, I feel like we've shoot, we've done at least one, right? Gone my gaslight. Um, I can't remember if there's another one that we had done. Um, um, it's, I think in this one especially. I think it's very. I mean, obviously not the style, but in yeah. the writing, and I think the things that uh, Mike Mignola, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, just like shines at. I think this is his his lane, you know, and so. Um, so it was very fun, and I think I, there was a lot as uh, we were going through it that we were just like, wow, that's really smart. Or like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, that w I didn't maybe appreciate on the surface initially. Uh, so now that McFarlane seems to have a good relationship with DC Entertainment, they're making all the toys, um, and we just got a Spawn Batman book, and... Uh, uh, Warner Brothers Animation has made crossover films before with Batman and TMNT. Maybe we could, uh, what do you think about a Spawn uh, Batman crossover animated movie? Would that be something you'd be interested in working on? Um, conceptually, I love Spawn, you know, um, and, um, and Batman as well, you know. Um, and I think, but again, I, I, I feel like, you know, maybe I, I underappreciate Batman just because I, I feel like I've, I've done so many of his stories with him um, that I think it would be interesting, you know. Um, I think I, I'd look forward to it if it should happen, you know. But it's, it all comes down to business, though, right? So, which is some frustration that I have. <laughs> Anyways. Well, speaking of the business, uh, you mentioned that when you pitched this to beat up, uh, I guess, the studio... Um, and you didn't expect maybe like to move forward. Um, take us through that process of as, as far as you see, you know, you come up with, you know, the idea and you kick it upstairs. I mean, is there a lot of back and forth? I'm just kind of curious when you see this, is it 
I mean, done so many. Is it a go, or maybe do you have to fight for some? How does that uh, How does that work? Yeah, it's um, ish. <laughs> Spell it out very simply, Chewy. <laughs> We're having this interview. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you know, once you sort of work in the business of entertainment, and it's different depending on you know what company it is and what genre, blah blah blah, that type of stuff, right? Um, that you kind of you understand certain boundaries, you know, um, and and kind of gone gone through this a few times, anyways. You know, I mean, it's 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 like a three way prong, right? For, in in this case specifically, it's Warham Video, DC, and us as creators, right? Mm-hmm. That have to make it. Um, and so a lot of times, it's 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 headed by home video. Um, because again, they're the people that are putting up the money, uh, what they think they wanted with their investment, right? And so, a lot of times, again, it's it's based off of like old graphic novels, that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, then it becomes like DC, you know, um, and then it comes to us. So a lot of times, it's just for us to you say yes or no, right? And so most of the times, it's them suggesting and we saying like we can do it or we don't, we can't do it or we don't want to do it or whatever, right? Um, so, um, maybe for somebody like Bruce, like Bruce Tim, I mean, it's a little more easier and the people that are a lot more sort of, you know I mean? Established, I suppose. Um, I've done a lot of this stuff, but not in a producer capacity. And so I'm still kind of considered a junior producer. Right. And so, um, I think in this case, I was very surprised because, um, I think we had just finished up Soul of the Dragon and they were... You know, I'm the turmoil of what the business is kind of happening. Um, but I wanted to sort of put in my bid as far as like, it, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like you always have to sort of put in something. Do you know what I mean? Or else you're just, you're just going to take whatever they kind of give, right? At least with, with, if you, if you have an idea of something, there's a chance that you could potentially get it, right? I wasn't expecting to get this because again, it's such a niche, especially horror, you know, um, that they would, they would pick this one. So I was very surprised. That's, that's what was. I think very surprising. It's just it's from business sense to take that risk. Right. You know? Yeah, and that's why I mean we've kind of looked at it, the rest of you know the previous stories I've been told they're more I guess um, they were kind of like comics greatest hits. Yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. everyone's going to watch the Killing Joke and right. you know a lot of uh, you know some of the the Green Lines are bigger. So yeah, I'd be mean, getting that kind yeah. of specific. Yeah. It could be a gamble. But even the Killing Joke again, it's just that's been on the table for decades, mm-hmm. right? But again, as creatives, we all knew it was problematic. Nobody really wanted to touch it, you know? Um, but, you know, it became a thing where things, some things have been said, there have been rumors of things, and they have push. I didn't want to get specific into it, you know? But again, it's just... Personally, again, I think it's a thing that they didn't really understand what it was. Um, but they just knew that it was popular, and it was big, right? And so they were just like, we're going to do it. And then when they figured out, when they finally saw what it was about, they are just like, whoa, what's going on? You know? So... Even though these are mostly going to be seen on a home entertainment system, do you direct them, film them, shoot them with the idea that it's going to be on a big cinematic screen? I mean, I think there are... This this starts going into the psychology of stuff. And and a lot of the conversations that I kind of have with people I work with and stuff like that, right? It's... I think a lot of us um, would secretly love to be filmmakers. You know, and we, I mean, but we, we love art and we love animation, 
you know, I mean, because I mean, I think even starting from the 90s, I had always wished, and again, there was none of this really in the 90s, right, except for things that were coming out of Japan or Europe, um, not from America, right? America, I think still, I had a conversation with like, the driver today just about, like, you know, what he knew about cartoons. Again, it's, it's all kids stuff, right? It, in America, cartoons, these, the kids, you know, I think even now, with, even with the stuff that we've done, stuff that has been out, stuff that has been popular in streaming, that are adult, hardcore action and violence, you know? I'm not saying violence, but I'm saying just adults and not for kids. Um, I think still, though, the general public, they think it's for kids, you know? So, um, it's difficult. Um, but again, I think we all, I know for me, and I don't necessarily, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm starting to speak for everybody, but I, I, sh I don't want to do that. But um, for me, again, I, I didn't get into cartoons to do kids stuff, you know what I mean? I, and this is why I never thought about animation, you know, but when I actually sort of got into it, um, I was able to sort of guide my career for the most part into action adventure type things, right? So again, I'm not a Looney Tunes cartoon guy, you know, and so, and I don't think I would have stayed this long if there wasn't an avenue that sort of had stuff that I was interested in. So I've been very lucky, you know. There's There's been more of a, like a, uh, movement where we're, we're we're trying to give like we're actually trying not to have that like line and there's animation and cinema right animation is just the style mm -hmm. of it's a genre of cinema it's the same kind of thing yeah yeah uh does that is there a level of like are you guys kind of defensive about that do you just accept that there's that line you know like um you know it's Unfortunately, I, I kind of feel like I end most of my sentences with it's about business and so it's I think that's a different conversation because again, unfortunately, at the moment, there are no places that will basically give you the opportunity to even entertain that thought because business wise, it's, it's not possible, you know, unless you're talking about feature. Right, features the closest thing, obviously. Right, but again, that's arguably more expensive than live action. So, yeah. Same as a creative. Did the business overinvest in streaming, or do do you think streaming is going to be the future of media? Um, I think streaming is going to. This is just my personal yeah. opinion, obviously. Right. Uh, I think streaming is going to be the future. Um, there, um, I think it's kind of proven that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say here? But does that like not? A, I don't know. My mind, it seems like it's just just many sort of choices that were made in terms of streaming content and a lot of shows that were either oh that were cut back. Yeah. Well, I think they. I think they overinvested. Like it's. So, yeah, going back to your point, it's like, I think they overinvested. I, it reminds me, I was talking to somebody about this. It reminds me of, like, the comic book boom in the 90s, right? Where something kind of happened. And in this case, it was the pandemic that... Because everybody basically couldn't do anything outside, so they had to stay inside. So streaming went up because everybody had... That's, that's what they, you know... That's really what they could do, right? Um, and um, so all the numbers jumped up. And so everybody thought, hey... That's going to be a sustainable curve, you know, like the comic books, like the projection model or doing image right in the 90s happened. And all the comic book companies basically took out these loans based off of this projection. Right. And then when it 
crashed or whatever, they all folded, right? Marvel pretty much went bankrupt. They almost went bankrupt. That's why the whole IP stuff happened with Spider-Man and blah, 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 Fantastic Four, Fox, and for decades, right? Um, I think it's, that's what happened. In my, again, this is just my opinion, is like there was a huge need for it. There was a huge consumption of it. And so companies invested basically on that growth. And then when the pandemic <laughs> mellowed out and everybody went back outside, like it dropped. So and now they, they're regretting and suffering for it. That's my opinion. <laughs> We're careful. <laughs> no one cares what we think. <laughs> so what are some of the other um, kind of dream projects you might be eyeing? Because I'm, I'm sure you're always looking at the next thing or the next fitting. Three things you might want to try. Anything you could share or just if you had a dream line, just to snatch you out of the air and start working on it. First, it's like NASA. <laughs> yeah, I can see. You know, I, I have I have a feeling I've gotten to a point where I'm probably not going to be, you know, of the interest of general fandoms. Do you know what I mean? I've, there's things that I'm interested in that were much older. Like again, like the whole cosmic horror thing. Again, like, you know, I hope this does well for my, you know, for the sake of my career, <laughs> for the sake of my my boss's uh, <laughs> trust in me. But as far as interest is concerned, you know, I mean, this is the most exciting thing I've been, you know, for a while kind of a thing. Like, I would love to do like an Ulrich, you know, like a story. But again, I would, sure, like, that's not a business thing that anybody would really want to invest in. You know what I mean? There's, there's things that I kind of feel like you're, especially like nostalgia-wise, right? It's like stuff that, like those things were really big. I mean, Linda the Dragons was a huge thing you know, when I was a kid, and it had been my growth and my, uh, I don't know, it, it sort of fueled my creativeness in a way. It, and it allowed me to sort of like run almost like fake scenarios of things and experiment and try things out in storytelling, you know? Um, and then that's where I grew my interests. So, but thankfully Dungeons and Dragons is still, and the whole, that whole genre is still very, you know, alive and well right now. Seems like it's doing great there. They just flopped out a movie. Yeah, yeah. But even the things that are adjacent, yeah. I mean, um, that's that that's 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 uh, that's exciting to me. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we always again people that were around. We've always said that it's like, you know, uh, all the people that were kids and nerds are now, you know, when we were kids are now adults like we are, and they're in these higher power positions. And so I think that's a good thing because stuff that they're interested in what I wrote that's spilled into basically you know we're allowed to make now you know some of them some reboots maybe are not such good ideas <laughs> but some of them I think are, are amazing some of them yeah thank you Sam alright thank you so much thank you guys Right on. Well, I'd just like to go on th- want to thank Sam, again, taking the time to sit and talk with us. Uh, I also want to thank Gary from uh, DC Entertainment for setting all these interviews up. Both really cool guys, and uh, as far as the uh, animations department of DC, or the DCAU as I want to call it, DC Animated Universe, you know? Trademark copyright? No? Only me? Okay. Both of those guys have done a lot of, the, been in the mix of a lot of these things. A lot of these movies have come out, and 
generally speaking, DC animation is is a lot stronger than everything else they put out as far as the uh, movies and the cinematic universe stuff's concerned. Uh, they do a, re- a really good job with those things. Anyhow, okay, so from there, we'll go ahead and run. Uh, we'll go and run the interview with Christopher Gorham. Uh, he is the uh, actor who played the part of Green Arrow or Oliver for uh, the Doom that came in Gotham. And like I said earlier, he's done a handful of other uh, other uh, DC projects. He's played the Flash quite a few times, actually. Uh, so him getting to play Oliver is, was the first time for Oliver Queen, um, which is pretty cool. He talks about that in the in the interview also. Anyway, dude's cool. Um, so go ahead and run that. And again, we'll be a couple minutes. Uh, so tell us about playing uh, Green Green Arrow. Yeah, Green Arrow Queen. Um, uh, uh, it was great. It wanted, you know, it was an opportunity to do a completely new take on this guy. The fact that it's an Elseworlds story, um, set in a different time period, um, this kind of Lovecraftian world that the story takes place in, gave us an opportunity to find uh, an accent that places this guy in that time. And the way that they wrote him, you know, his vocabulary is very period appropriate, more so than really any of the other characters in the movie. So, you know, uh, Oliver really gives the film uh, its grounding in time, I think. Um, and so finding that accent to go along with, the, with those words um, was really key to finding who this guy was and building that foundation so then we could play and you know we could be like all right now what uh, now what if he's wasted and like, <laughs> right <laughs> it's like cool yeah now put him at the piano and sing a song it's like great great no what if he passed out <laughs> that's the time where you get really method with it right of course you had to drive home oh, okay. yeah. uh, chris uh oliver queen you know for decades has had a reputation as a bit of a womanizer is that aspect of Oliver in this story that you get to play, or is Oliver on his best behavior? Well, he's definitely not on his best behavior, but but he doesn't do any womanizing in this. I think he's he's his his mind and his heart is really full in this story. He's got a big secret that is just bursting to come out, and he's terrified of it coming out. So his mind is really occupied with that. Um, a pleasant surprise for me seeing the movie is the relationship between Kylie and, and Oliver is it's a really nice uh, relationship. I, I, I think he's, uh, you know, she sees him and thinks he's like, who's this like crazy old man? Um, but he comes to really kind of respect her um, when she surprises him, you know, near the end of his story. And, and uh, so I, that was a pleasant surprise for me. Considering the fact that we never met until today, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Probably more of a, a comparison more than anything, though. But so, who was maybe more fun, or the differences between uh, playing the Flash and Green Um, I mean, the Flash in most of those movies, not all of them, but most of those movies, he's kind of the comedic relief, um, which is fun. And I was a big Flash fan growing up because I loved the Justice League cartoons as a kid. So that like has a special place in my heart. As a performing challenge, this was 
more challenging, you know, in a single film because he had we had to find those moments of comedy. Um, but we also very quickly go to very real, like emotional, vulnerable places, um, and it has to. Both of those things has to come from the same emotional core, kind of, you know, because the drinking is all the hiding and the trying to stop this volcano that's coming out. Um, and then it all comes out and it's in motion, you know. So uh, so as a an acting challenge, this was really uh, a good one. And he's got... A, there's a weight on him, you know? Like, he feels the, the weight of what his dad did. Uh, and the, he's struggling with it and is trying to uh, overcome it and set that right. What were your... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oliver is very vulnerable in this story, and how does, how does he view Batman? Uh, uh, he's... Like, Batman or Bruce... Um, uh, cause he loves Bruce. Um, and, uh, he wants to protect him I and mean, he's been protecting him, you know, all of this time from the truth. Um, and, and there's a, like, it's beautiful when, when he can't, um, there's a really, like, it's a really telling, like, it's a, kind of a beautiful reveal about their relationship and his feelings towards him. It's really nice. Uh, I I was a huge fan of the previous kind of Justice League world. Yeah, that ended, I guess. Yeah. Uh, is there something about like kind of where you are like in your life today that you're kind of more ready to play the Green Arrow and Oliver Queen, which just seems to have more grown-up issues, myth problems than you could have done back then. Because, you know, Flash is a different character, different different brightness. Yeah, you know, could you have swapped these characters and played them at different times in your life? I don't know. I don't know. It's impossible to know, right? I, I, I think, you know, Oliver Queen in this movie is an older guy, you know, um, which I am becoming with each passing day. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay. There's could be worse. Could not be here. Um, so, uh, so yeah. I mean, there's things that certainly like there's things that you can relate. You can relate to characters that have lived experience that are similar to yours. Now, my lived experience very different, very different than Oliver Queen. Um, however, like uh, you know, just being in the ballpark of that age range. You can certainly understand emotionally some of that stuff. You know, the, the stuff with your parents, like, you know, uh, you know, we see our parents get older, you know, uh, like get into like real old age and how like that feels emotionally and that kind of, and as your, and then your parents pass away and like you, you know, that's that kind of stuff, you know, you can imagine it when you're younger and sure you can play it, but it, you know, it's different if you've if you've lived it. So um, awesome. I mean, I made it really differently. How would you approach like with the Moyers or that character being one that's being live action? Sure. 
I mean, the process of doing it, just the technical process, is just night and day different. Um, you know, I recorded all of my lines for this movie in probably an hour and a half, right? Whereas The Lincoln Lawyer is eight days for every episode, right? <laughs> like, you know, like it just takes drastically more time to do the live action stuff for us. Now, you know, the the wonderful thing about these animated movies is uh, is that we get all the credit for all Yeah, like, you know, because there's hundreds of people working on this movie, like really amazingly talented, creative people putting in hundreds of hours of work, thousands of hours of work to, to make this movie happen. Um, you know, the voice actors are just a very small, I mean an incredibly small part of the process when you break it up by time, right? Um, so yeah, very different and um, but as far as like creating the acting of it, I mean it's all pretend, right? So uh, the most important thing is being in a, having a safe place and and uh, you know, working with Wes, you, you always feel safe to just go and try things and fail and try something different and figure it out. And, um, very supportive, and, and uh, you know, so it makes for a good work environment. And then I think it makes for good work. Do you have a character that you could pick anybody that you'd want to play that you haven't got to play yet? Listen, man, I keep pitching the Wonder Twins. I'm trying to help. <laughs> movie, right? Like, yeah. come on, there has got to be, right? Like, a really fun, like, Wonder Twins movie? Well, I, been I don't they were know. Do live action. Yeah. Yeah. They were. They were. They were. Who should we rage tweet when we, uh... Right? When we would want to play the other Wonder well, Twin character? Well, said that she's down, so oh, she'll do it with me. Yeah. Right? Awesome. Well, and, and like I'm going to say a lot, I want all these people need to thank them for doing this stuff. It's been awesome. It was really great. And getting to talk to Chris was really cool. Um, you may also know Chris from uh, the, the show Lincoln Lawyer. Um, and uh, he was also on Covert Affairs, the TV series, for 75 issues. So he's he's a face you'd recognize, except by episodes. So he's a face you recognize, whether you saw the show or not, with the advertising uh, but yeah, Covert Affairs, he was on. He's directed a couple things, too. Um, it just happens to be also he does The Flash really good and, you know, Green Arrow. So after Chris, well, let's go ahead and move on to... We'll go with the co-director. We'll do, uh, go ahead and move on to Christopher Barkley. Uh, Christopher is the co-director of the Doom That Came to Gotham. Uh, so we'll go ahead and run that interview. And I'll be back with you in just a minute. Director Christopher Berkeley. All right. All right. So you're kind of responsible, or at least co-responsible. Yes. 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 I was. I was responsible for whatever uh, was going wrong. <laughs> so are you the fixer, or did you break things? What happened? Oh, that's a, yeah. Yes. 
That's a good. That's the answer to the question. Yes, I, I, I broke things and I fixed them. Um, and sometimes I would break things that did need fixing. And you fix things that need a break. I'm I'm already. Yeah, kind of. It's, it's it was an interesting uh, process. Um, uh, especially like uh, the co-director uh, producer uh, Sam Lewis. He's, he's been a good friend of mine for a number of years, and we've worked on a, a number of projects together. And so to work on this, uh, with him being the producer and me, we work as sort of producer-director uh, capacity. And, but he poured so much love into this thing that, you know, feel like I can be the dad. You're as much as, as in this as, as I am, so I have no qualms about I think in the recent years with the, with the animated movies from Warner Brothers in D.C., we've seen some darker, more intense stories. So I think that puts you guys in a good position, since relations are good with Todd McFarlane. Let's do a Spawn animated story or a Spawn animated Batman story. What do you think? Do you like that idea? Oh, dude. Uh, I like the idea, but not for me to work on. <laughs> Which probably means if it does come up, I might have to work on it. <laughs> Such is my life. Um, I should wish to, you know, uh, hopefully I lose the lottery if I buy a ticket. And then, um, but uh, that would be interesting. But, man, I don't know how many hoops we'd have to jump through to get McFarlane into and under the DC banner, though. Or is it already there? Oh, that's different. That, that's a different thing. He can stay spawned. Yeah, but that's still kind of that. I think it's the, it's the rights thing because they might not be uh, animated rights or, or movie rights or whatever. So I don't know. Give him a call. Big Toddy. Yeah. It's don't leave that paper on the table. Right? Yeah, you you you, you are. It's like you said. I it would be a, a great. And then thinking about it, it's like oh, that's a good idea. Like a friend of mine, he came up with these uh, uh, pins that you could wear that you can have people sign. Like, like you can have an artist assign the pin. Okay. But the signature is on the pin and not on a piece of paper. Which is, and you can wear it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would do it. But I guess you, if you collect pins and you can just put it on a pegboard or whatever and you have all the collections of the signatures. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's a great idea. So it, like, it's a great idea. I'm not, it, it, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of. Maybe I'll tweet top later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah. Uh, were you a fan of this particular book before you took on the project? I was. I was aware. I, I was aware of it, um, and I was. It was weird because all oh, you know, you see the Magnolia cover. Oh, and I'm reading, and I'm. And I'm not gonna lie, I was a little confused by the comic. Um, and then you finish it, and it's like, okay. I, I need somebody to talk to, you know. And so you you talk with your friends, all the people that have read the book. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, that was interesting. So when it was announced that this was going to happen, I was like, this is going to be kind of weird. It's, it's going to be interesting to pull off. Um, but the writer and, and Sam, they ironed out almost all the creases in it, all the wrinkles. And I was like, oh, oh this, this is going to be interesting. Way more, I can say better than the book, because that's... That never happens, and it's kind of sacrilegious to say. Um, but I think we, 
we ironed out a lot of, uh, like I said, we ironed out a lot of the wrinkles uh, in the book. Uh, and then we tried to make it bigger in, 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 in some respects. Because um, I was saying this earlier, it's like, how do you, how do you uh, try to make Batman a little bit more proactive? And at the same time, how do you make what does it mean for the doom to come to Gotham? You know, and you know, in, in animation, and it's like how do you how do you put a city in peril and make the the audience feel it, or at least be concerned about it? Because um, who cares about the people of Gotham? Like, like, like eh, you know, well, Batman lives there. Like, eh, no, he doesn't. Um, so it's 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 it's. That was kind of one of the the, tr- the trick the trickier parts of of, of making this this, this movie uh, is is trying to find it like how is this all affecting you know a city uh, and and oddly enough his, in in the end it actually became very easy but it was, it was like, when you're working on it it's kind of like it's like the, the the trees in the forest you just see like nothing but like these telephone poles. But when you stand back, it was oh no, these are trees. It's like, oh okay, this is simple. It's just the trees. They just cut it down, and there's your path. Oh, so yeah, direct uh, an animated series versus an animated movie. Is there a process to have it both? No, one's a win. Get one last one. Oh uh, uh, oh gosh, movies are, more, are probably more fulfilling. Um, because uh, the TV series is they're they're a lot more it's it's they're like mini movies and you're trying to like cram all your sort of cinematicness into this 22 minutes whereas like when you finally get a movie it's like okay okay I can I can make this happen yeah and it's like okay this happens and then oh this is why it happens it's like it's it's it it, it. you're you're allowed to tell your story a little bit better and, and be more clear in, in your intentions or in, in the story's intentions so thanks you guys and not sound like a broken record but you know again I want to thank Chris um, both the Chris's uh, you should also, um, Chris, from doing, uh, he, he was, he's part of the team that did Young Justice, the animated cartoon series, some Teen Titans, and back in the day he did Men in Black, the animated series, um, and he worked on The Batman as well. Uh, so yeah, so, I mean, he's also got an extensive amount of work in the world, but also cool, cool dude, neat, neat guy to talk to. Um, all these people are just super fantastic, actually. From there, we'll move on to the uh, fantastic Taddy Gabrielle. Uh, and she is a, well, actress, voice actress, both. Um, a very, also fun person to talk to. Like, she's great. Anyhow, so we'll go ahead and run her, her interview next. This episode is super interview heavy. And, uh, I appreciate you guys sticking around. But yeah, this is, uh, Taddy Gabrielle at WonderCon 2023.
Um, hi, my name is Tati Gabrielle. Your makeup's amazing. Thank you. I know. And, and who do you play? Um, and I play Kylie Kane. Is that a Robin? She, I, in this, I guess, technically, no, she's not a Robin, but she is an Elseworlds mashup of a few of the Robins from the comic book. Um, so she's a mashup of Tim Drake, Cassandra Kane, and Carrie Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, she um, she does, I, I guess, carry a similar role for Bruce in the way that she offers him, like, she she is his moral compass, sort of his conscience. She um, keeps him grounded and keeps him, keeps his, his humanitarian at the forefront. Um, but they also, they offer each other, I think, a, a shoulder to lean on, having shared similar struggles or similar, uh, um, struggles in their, in their past and carrying sort of similar pains. Um, they, yeah, just offer each other a shoulder to lean on. Um, and I think that Bruce sees her as a good contender to take over the Batman mantle when he no longer can was this like a darker more intense story than you know compared to say owl house oh absolutely yeah um definitely um it was it, it definitely took a different uh, approach to the voicing um it i felt felt like i through the preparation of it i definitely used more of my like onset sort of preparation to tackle this um due to the the gravity and, and weight that this movie carries so yeah uh I'm related, but I think Willow is just so adorable on Owl House. What, what's like your favorite thing about what? Um, I just love how much heart Willow has, um, and I love her character arc through the series. How she, like, she, I think is just the, how much she grows um, and sort of comes out of her shell um, and finds her own power. I think is really beautiful, and I think is really like hopefully really inspiring to kids. Yeah. Do you prefer voice acting or live acting? What do you like better and what's different for you? I can't really say that I like one more than the other because they do offer very different things. Like live action is, is of course super cool to you know get in costume, be in a world, like but I like voiceover because well one, I was a super big like cartoon fan when I was little. I wanted to be an animator before I wanted to be an actor. Um, yeah. And so I I like the way that voiceover acting offers more play with the imagination. Um, because like, you know, they animate after we record. So when you're in the booth, you have to picture the whole world and sort of, and to, in order to be present. Um, so I really like that challenge. Um, and that like fun brain game. Yeah. Are you an actor? Cause you couldn't draw? No, oh, okay. it was actually so <laughs> like, I had like, I, I almost would like, but like, don't come for me. Yeah. No. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but no, it was actually like, so I went to performing arts school when I was, when I was young, um, for middle and high school, um, that it was an audition based school. So I had to audition to get in and I was going to audition for both visual and theater. Um, but I serendipitously forgot my sketchbook at my audition, so I was only able to audition for theater. Um, so I always say, like, the universe sort of chose my path, but, like, yeah. Yeah. I still draw, but, like, and I, and I, and I, I took up painting, actually, too, over the pandemic. Um, so yeah, so now just, like, I guess, uh, a hobby and a pastime, but I may, like, bust out something with it. Wait for me. <laughs> Have a specific art form that you prefer, like, so you like more modern or... Like, do you have a, a very, like, a, a painter that you really look up to? Um, well, Basquiat is my favorite um, painter. Um, my, I have a parrot. He is named after him. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I like, and I, I love Basquiat because of the way that he, it, his paintings are very much, you see his inner mind on the canvas. Like, there is no, there's not much refinement about it. There's not a, a, a lot of meticulous, I think, going about it. He, he very much was like, okay, this is what I'm feeling and, and this is, is, is the reflection of it. Um, and that just always really spoke to me, and this, the the chaoticness of his mind very much spoke to me, and I feel like I related to. Um, so yeah. So how much of a deep dive, if any, uh, did you do in the source material or DC um, universe, um, kind of preparing for the role? Um, I didn't do like a super deep dive. Um, I did like very much want to look into the three characters that she was built from, um, just to give me a. I guess sort of a direction um, or a, 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 a field guide, but I also very much wanted to take the liberty of Kylie being a new character to this and wanted to, yeah, see what see what I could offer and what I could bring. Because um, I can get, if I if I look too much at something, I, I'm guilty of my brain will then start sort of spinning out and overthinking about things and wanting to, and I'm like, I can't do that to myself. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I tried to be just as as genuine as, as I could after reading the script and, and understanding the understanding the assignment essentially. Um, I just wanted to, to, to be as honest and genuine as I could be. So, what other uh, intellectual properties are you into, or like, are you more into superheroes or Star Wars, Lord of the Rings? Like, what are you into the most? Um, I think I'm into superheroes the most, um, just because ever since I was little, I had this. I thought two things. I either thought I was an alien or I thought I was a mutant. Um, and so, um, but like, I know like this is technically like against DC, but I was a big X Men fan like when I was young, and but. Um, but just like I always I just more than anything with all superheroes I really liked the or related to the finding one's gift out of seemingly nothing um, and that was really inspiring to me growing up um, and I was convinced at one point that I was going to get powers at some point later in life that didn't happen yet 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 <laughs> Um, you got the power of all this. Right. <laughs> Dun -dun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I just, like, I like superheroes were, were the thing that kept me going a lot, I think, as a kid. And, and, and when, in the sort of the dark times that I had when I was a kid, it, 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 it gave me a light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. How do you set your mind from a, you know, action animated, like, this project here versus, like, a, action physical that you did in Uncharted? Um, just really, I guess, getting my my imaginative muscles ready. Um, I have a very active imagination already as it is, so like when re and so when reading anything with any kind of script, I'm already starting to visualize it, but even more so with this, I like, I love like anything like Lovecrafty and Supernatural, so that was really fun to like try to uh, try to imagine and, and and understand the stakes and scope of what because like kylie we never i'm like can i say this part so let me think for a second um is it, maybe i can i think i can it doesn't give anything okay yeah i think it's gonna say so when we don't necessarily see her interact so much with the with the with the lovecraftian elements 
but she does very much have to understand the stakes and weight of what's happening. Um, so it's taking, I guess, taking the same thing that I would do in a, in a live action sense of trying to make the, the everything truthful and honest but imaginary circumstances. So somebody had said earlier, like, or had asked um, me and Chris the question of, like, did, the, did this movie and the doom that came to Gotham, did you feel any, like, resemblance to what's happening in our world and the doom that feels... I was like, wow, that's a powerful question. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, it was like, that's, that, is, that is exactly what I had to take into my mind in order to be able to put it here because I didn't have external elements to sort of uh, catalyze that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just... Uh, taking real world and trying to beef up the imagination. Yes. Thank you so much for welcome everybody. Alright. Yeah, I don't want to thank Tady again for hanging out and talking. Um, I got a little bit of story at the end of the, all this that involves actually her mom and her two little sisters, which is cool. Um, anyhow, so the last one in the group is going to be Jace Ricci, and Jace is the uh, he's the writer of the of the so he's the writer for the Doom that came to Gotham animated movie. So they took the Mike Mignola book and then turned it into a screenplay for the movie. Anyway, awesome dude. Um, I actually spent the most time with him of any of these folks at the convention. Um, and there's a piece of story that goes with that too, which actually sort of connects to the to the Taddy story. So go ahead and run, Jace, and uh, anyway, dude's super cool. So uh, enjoy that, and I'll be back at the end, and we'll wrap all up. Hey, Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, by the way, I just went to the bathroom to wash my hands. There'll be a quiz later. Like that, Ike? No, I'm done. How good does it feel to be able to come to a convention again and show a project like this? It feels great. I mean, I, the last time I was at a, a convention project for work was uh, D23 five years ago. So, uh, yeah, it feels great. to, to And this is like it. A dream project for me. This, uh, I don't know who say that if I could do go- uh, spoilers or anything, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. My kids are here, uh, not here. Uh, no, they're on the floor terrorizing my wife. So no, like, I mean, my, my wife has never been to a convention before. Oh, She's like, oh my wow. god, what am I doing here? I was like, just come on in. Yeah, sure. You have to go work. Yeah, we can. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, it feels great. Can you share with us why it was this particular project at this particular time? Um, you know, I think it really was a, a situation where I, you know, I'm under contract with Warner Brothers. I'm a big superhero fan, as it is a big, huge Batman fan. I'm a huge horror fan, and uh, at the time I was working, I met Jim Creek while I was running um, Superhero Girls, DC Superhero Girls, season two, and you know, we had introduced, you know, met and, and got friendly with it, and then like friendly with each other, not friendly with it. That's something weird. <laughs> We're sorry, Jen. <laughs> There's edit, right? It's like this one's here. Ah! Uh, no, but he, 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 we, you know, we uh, got along really well, and then, you know, once COVID happened, he called me, and he said, I got this thing, and that's, it, you know what, I, I just said that, and it's going to make me sound like a, a poser, but I'm not. For some reason, this book was in my, just in, you know, you just have the, that one nerd blind spot. 
you know, I love this. I love that. I'm like, how did I miss this? And so, Ooh. but I mean, he didn't. I did, he just said Batman, uh, Bengala, and Lovecraft. I'm like, when do we start? <laughs> so yeah, so it was really one of those. And you know, it was all remote. It was one of the first things. I was actually working, wrapping up two other projects while I was doing this, but it was worth it, you know, because it was just, it was like one of those projects, like, I just want to let that thing. So, um, you know, Sam Liu and Jim and I really just sort of just went cr- cracked down on the, on the, on the, ad- uh, the development of it. And so, because uh, Jim's a, a horror fan too, and I'm a Lovecraft fan, and it just all fell into place. Does DC or Warner Brothers ever give you any rules of things you can't do in a project like this, especially if it's like a more darker, more intense story? You mean um, ability? Like, like regulation. Because I can do anything. That's like the thing. There's nothing I can't do. Prescription. Uh, yeah, I. You know, I, I mean, look. Uh, speaking out of class here, I really wanted this to be R. They wouldn't do it. Sorry, I get it. You know, they got to sell DVDs or whatever. But uh, you know, I'm a ho- I'm a hardcore horror fan. I would have liked to push some of the horror elements, but now my at least my kids can watch it. So worked out. Were, were there any talks about making a like a R version, a scaled down TV version? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean. I don't. I don't think so. And my how, there's how hard could it be? I know. I know. But hey, man, it, 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 every penny, every yeah. every second of our film is yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, when you're like adapting from uh, you know the existing material, I'm kind of choosing what to maybe punch up, punch down. You know, we're really going to focus on this. You know, not that. Um, just kind of talk about the process there. Where there's certain things like this is definitely want to adapt this or don't want to use that or uh, you know kind of change it around a little bit yeah I think you know th- this is a, a story because it was I think they, the original text was like gangbusters in terms of adapting Lovecraft and it was a really ornate uh, complex plot of dread working in the background of the story right um, and you know and th- what that gives you is there's all kinds of monsters the problem is it's an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways because what do you cut we want to and, and the thing is, it's not just like, oh, I want to put it in because it's cool. It's like, if you take it out, you're setting off. It's a domino. So it's just you kind of have to uh, choose your, you know, with the, the devil you know or whatever it is. So, but there was a lot of things where I did see, and I don't want to talk spoilers, but like one of the things that I really enjoyed adding, and this was no knock on the, the original because I think you just changed, was sort of the development of the Robins. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys, if anybody's here seen the movie, but what we had to do... You know, what, well, not what we had to do, and really what this came with Sam, uh, Jim and I, is like really just this Bruce Wayne left Gotham, traveled the world for two decades, accumulating Robins, and they're from around the world. Those Robins should reflect being around the world, so that's that's how that was born, and it just worked out better because I think, you know, uh, Sanjay and Kylie wound up being one of my, two of my favorite characters. Um, but the other thing that, you know, we... We wanted to keep sort of Bruce's story front and center and really attack his character. Like, you hear this, here's the thing, like, he's, what is, what is um, sort of paramount to every version of Batman is that he clings to science and logic. Like, that's, that's what we love Batman. And this is the Batman, without giving it much too away, too much away, is that you can't, he can't win if he does that. Like, he cannot win if he does that. Like, he has to let go. And so we just were finding different ways to keep pushing and pushing and pushing him. And, and that sort of led to the end. And again, if for those of you who've seen the graphic novel, remember, there were, and honestly, I love werewolves. There were werewolves in the end of the, in, 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 like, as penultimate guardians towards Ra's al Ghul. And 
I didn't want to, but like and I said, we need to. I wanted to have something that was more personal to him, that was going to push him over the edge a little bit more. And that's why when you watch the movie, you're going to see it's it's not werewolves, it's, you know, um, something awesome. Because I won't, I won't give it. All right, I love zombies, so I'll just yeah. say it. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't be talking to a bunch of nerds and talking about zombies. No offense, I'm not calling you nerds. We're all nerds. Oh, uh, it's no, it's okay. No, okay, thank you. Sometimes you accidentally maybe improve a little bit at least with the translations of the film so well i mean i it's it was it was it was our project to mess up because it's a great book you know um, I mean, it's a lot of fun what is your like your um how much care do you put into the source materials that you don't upset people or is it always about just making the best movie for you and for what your team is trying to do like do you have some kind of responsibility to fans of the original source yeah, because I'm a fan, too. I mean, you don't want to... Look, we... I think in a way, like... Uh, I, I grew up with... You know, when, when Batman came out, 89, that was like we were been waiting for you because the last superhero movie we had was Superman, really. You know, and so you're just jonesing. Now it's, like, crazy, but, like, <laughs> you're just jonesing for it. And people are so embarrassed about comics, and they would, like, you know, do everything to straight line it, streamline it, and, like, make it realistic and, and take away, like, change, you know, like, I don't know if you guys remember that Captain America one, where it's, like, Steve Rogers isn't Steve Rogers, is Steve Rogers' grandson who's an artist, and he drives a motorcycle, and it's cool, it's like, no, it's like, you know what I mean? So here you can really stay close to it. And I think, you know, that's super important. Where it, where it comes in the way, gets in the way, is when it gets in the way of good story. You know, if you're so slavish to like, well, he's got to have. I mean, because here it wasn't just Batman. It was also. I mean, I know there's not a huge Lovecraft crowd out there, but the Lovecraft is there. So there's Lovecraft and there's the Mignola, and there's also the fans of the DC animated films. There's a certain expectation. You know, I was a fan of the movies before I started watching. I was, I saw Doomsday, Superman Doomsday at Comic Con or whenever that aired. Like I was there in the theater, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, so I mean, I think. You want to pay attention to those things, and that's part of it. You got to also have your horse blinders, and it's like, yeah, but what's the best story? You know, and I think if you're doing the best story, if I'm going to err one way or the other, it's a better story and not be as faithful. But it'd be great to get both. Um, did seeing like the Batman come out in, in the last year does that give new inspiration for projects like this at all? New perspective. Um, you know, I. No. I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it was great, but, like, I didn't need any more inspiration for Batman. Like, I just love Batman, and I just thought, oh, this is kind of a cool, you know, a cool take on him. I've never seen him, like, standing so close to so he's, like, having the crime scene, and I thought there were some really cool additions to that. But, um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not knocking the movie at all. I loved it. But, like, I, the, there's, oh, I just find inspirations from, like, oh, look at this cool Elseworlds action figure I found from 1990s, <laughs> a pirate. You know, it's like, that's you know what I'm saying. So. Yeah, Legends of Batman, yeah, that's right. Find it harder to write this particular genre than, like, for example, you did with, um, we'll just call it like the Dis Disney Princess kind of, which is Rapunzel. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you're talking about Tangled? Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I, 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 wrote, I was a story editor and, and producer on, on Tangled for. I don't know, 70 seasons? I don't know what you see. There are so many. And it's funny because, and, and I lo look, I love that show, and, and I was really, I really found my heart in it, and I think what I brought to that show was kind of like what you were saying. It's like the opposite of that, because when they call, I got the call about Tangled, and I don't know if I should say this, but like they're like, hey, so they're breaking the show of Tangled, and what do you think? And I'm the Disney fan. I'm like, oh, well, let me see. They're going to make a show of Tangled. Like, 
is it uh, oh yeah I guess she's got the bow and arrow and you know she's whatever like no no, no that's, that's brave I'm like oh I'm like Okay, and then I watch the movie. Like, how are they going to make this serious? But like, what what was great about it is the people that the showrunners had such a passion for it, and they were such fans for it that they it was cool to have somebody who wasn't like, hey, that's really cool, but nobody cares, you know. And sometimes I think like sometimes people will do that with Batman. Like, I know that I've worked with super on superhero girls where my partner on that show wasn't a huge fan. She's like, hey, that's really cool, but come on, you know. So um, it's fun. You, you the the challenge is finding what you love about it. I mean, I would have never pictured myself writing. It's funny, I, I wrote for this show called Pen Zero, a show that was awesome, but not a lot of people have seen. And, uh, you know, but the idea was that this kid could tra- teleport to a different universe every... So, like, in one in one episode, you would teleport to a knight thing, and he would be a knight, and the bad guy would be a dragon, and then all of a sudden, you'd have a viking, and whatever. And so the first time I... The first episode I wrote, he's like, he goes to a superhero world, and he's a superhero. I'm like, this is freaking great. And then the next one, he goes, and he goes to a zombie world, and they fight zombies in a mall. I'm like, this is freaking great. And the next one, they go, okay, he's going to go to a princess world and be a princess. I'm like, it's a job, you know? <laughs> but... And I didn't. I had so much fun, and it was great. And you know, it was. It had to be musical and singing and all that stuff. And we, I did it, and I'm proud of it. And I was like, okay, I don't. I don't ever need to write another princess script again. <laughs> and then I wrote 76 more with Tangled. I worked on them. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's fun. You just find what you love about it, and you. It's about working with fun people too. Do you think Pen Zero never got some quality time with the chinchilla and made friends with the chinchilla? God, I love that you know who the chinchilla is. I wrote the chinchilla song, and. Uh, <laughs> I'll hug you later. <laughs> I don't know, but you're going to have some call time. You're me. No, but she knows that she's chilling. Yes, I, I hope that. That's so funny when you do that show. I'm going to cry. We won't sell. Do you have any future projects we should be looking for? Something you in the back burner you're working on? Yeah, I... Uh, I, I can't really say there's. A, I'm still on with Warner Brothers, and Kate, I'm uh, co-EP on Bruce Timm's new Cape Crusader show that's coming out, and I can't say anything about that. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Somebody asked me over there, and I was like, honestly, I am more afraid of Lovecraft than I am Bruce Timm, because I don't want to... I love Bruce, but I don't want like, to let any secrets out. Uh, but um, I'm working on that, and another actual, uh, which I can't say, but it'll probably be announced, hopefully, another Batman property, possibly. So it's a lot of Batman for me. So. I really like to hear. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, is there a kind of a B-level, C-level hero that you think there's a really good story there that kind of needs to come out? You know, I I pitched... Um, I shouldn't say that. Well, I guess I can because whatever. Um, but I, I really wanted to do a Challengers of the Unknown. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Challengers of the Unknown. They're sort of a, a proto-Fantastic Four, right? Yeah. Uh, without the powers. And I just I pitched it as an animated Ghostbusters movie. Scientists... Uh, you know, not as a series, and I just thought it was like rife for of like cool coolness, and um, they didn't think so. But uh, well, they they said that the characters were tied up, so this is always a good excuse. It's just like, yeah, we can't. Oh, we love it, but the characters are tied up. That's what I tell myself. Uh, do you think we can see fingerprints of Mike Mignola's uh, style in this film? Because he just has such like this unique, memorable style. You know, I'm not the art guy. It's it's so I can't give you any of the like technical terms. It feels like the book, you know what I mean? It feels like it doesn't look like it because it's so, you know. If you because Mike didn't do the art in the book, um, and 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 you know, it just it's 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 so different from frame to frame. It'd be hard to 
necessarily translate that, but I feel like the character, my kudos to Sam, the character director, uh, designer for really getting the, the essence of it. And I wish I had, I've been working in animation for 15 years and I don't have the terminology to say why, but that's the essence, I guess, is as good as I can get. Try to write a character based on a favorite voice actors, actors that you have in mind. It's not possible. Oh, um, well, I, t- I will tell you that that you know when you know who the voice actor is, it's like you know. Not, I mean, I've worked. That's the thing. Like, I'm sure they they get lots of kudos, especially late lately. But like, um, voice actors is just so amazing to like when you think of the layers they could put in just the sound of their voice. <laughs> okay, um, but when you know who the actor is, it makes writing a lot easier. Excellent. Appreciate you guys sticking around and whatnot. I appreciate Jason's time. Um, it's a little story. I don't necessarily have all the closers for this particular episode, but, um, so I got to watch Doom the King of Gotham with its world premiere for an audience at the WonderCon, uh, uh, thanks to Gary, again, awesome dude from DC, got me a seat up in the, uh, the VIP section, and the thing that's funny about that is that, so I, so I took my ticket, and I went, I got in my seat, and I'm hanging out, waiting in the mic, there's nobody here, and the, like, I was the only one sitting in the green back chairs, it was, which is how they were colored in order to tell you what seats they were. And I started thinking, are these the right chairs? Like, what is going on? A, a woman showed up with a laptop, and she's furiously pounding away, typing on it, and I'm like, okay, this must be the right section, because it seems like she's trying to make a deadline. And uh, a couple guys came and sit behind us for a second, which turned out that one of them was the the guy who did the uh, scoring for the movie, uh, which I got to talk to them a little bit after the whole, after the whole charade of everything. So anyway, so I'm sitting there, right? And then, uh, eventually, uh, we, I get a guy across that comes, comes needing to walk past me. So I turn sideways for a second and, it, and it's Jason. He goes, Oh, hey, man. And I'm like, Oh, hey, dude. How you, how you doing? He's like, cause, and we just, like, we literally just talked to each other, like, maybe 30 minutes ago at the press junkets. And he's like, Hey, is it cool if we take up the end of this row? And I said, uh, sure. I'm, I'm the one that's there by, you know, kindness of Gary and I'm like yeah dude of course and he's, he's like oh, alright and so he brings in his wife and his two kids and he's like oh, it's my wife and my boys which he actually talked to us earlier about how they were running around you guys heard it in the interview anyway and so he, like, he introduced his wife to me and then they, they point out the two boys and, and then he, he's like oh yeah and we got David with us and I'm like David and uh, as he moves over David does motion so Polka Dot Man um the dude who writes Count Crowley, one of my favorite freaking books ever, comes sliding down the aisle with him. So me, David, Jesse, and Jesse's family all watch this movie with the audience for the first time, and I'm like, how do I take a picture of this? And I was trying to figure out a way to take a picture without being weird, so I have a stupid picture of my knee, which is unfortunate. Um, anyways, the funniest thing ever, well, as we, you know, we watched the movie, and like, I don't know, it clearly, to me, neither one of them has seen it in that caliber before so it was really it was just a really great experience it was super awesome anyway eventually we get to just about the end of the movie we're about i don't know maybe two or three minutes away from the end and uh both of them get up and they slink out the aisle because they were doing a uh, panel afterwards so they all get sequestered off behind the curtain and about that time i get another group of people sitting on my other side 
and it's these two two little girls and uh, our mother. And uh, they they both sit down. They're like, "Is this where the panel thing is going to be?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course." And then the one little girl spilled popcorn everywhere. And it was it was hilarious. Anyway, well, it turns out they were Taddy's younger sisters, and so I got to meet them via her also, which was pretty cool. Um, it was definitely a weird a weird moment. Cause, I mean, I met a lot of famous people, and a lot of uh, a lot of celebrity quote unquote celebrities if you count comic people in my life, which is weird. But that particular, like, sort of scenario never really happened before, so that was pretty cool. And, uh, I mean, right before that, I bumped into Rob Layfield. He was leaving the panel before that panel. Because it turns out his son, Rob Layfield Jr., is actually an actor. He's on some show about wolf kids, I guess. I, I, again, I wasn't at the previous panel, so I have no idea what it was about. But, anyway, I bumped into Rob, and I was like, hey, Rob. And he's like, hey. And I said, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, my kid's an actor on this show. And I was like, oh, cool. And then off he went. So it wasn't like, you know, nothing like the gas station I met him at back when I was 18 years old. Anyway, that's a whole different story for a whole different podcast. It's stupid. It's a hole to fall down. Anyway, um, so normally we do lesson of the day. I guess I do have one of those. Less, lesson of the days. And it's like a, so I think the last lesson of the day was about locking your knees and standing too long, uh, causing a vertigo. Which, you know, was really a real thing. Freaked me out. It was crazy. That if, so for the lesson of the day, I'm gonna go with, just because it happens to you more than once, to mirror the green arrow scenario, isn't always the worst thing. And while it seems like sometimes you cannot get out of the same thing happening over and over and over again, sometimes this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's it. I feel like there was supposed to be something heavier there, but I guess I don't know how to deliver it. That's what the UPS guy said, come up my stairs. <sighs> all jokes, kids, all jokes. Uh, as far as books to watch, man, I know I've mentioned multiple times on here the uh, Hallow's Eve, and I'm still loving it. Uh, issue two of it finally came out. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to tell you, look up Count Crowley. Like, I know that the Volume 1 has been out of circulation for a second. They're supposed to be dropping Volume 2, so I assume that means that at that same time, the Volume 1s will come back into circulation or availability. Because it is fantastic. I know we've talked about that on the show before, so if you're a long-time listener to the show and you're still putting up with us, then you've heard about this book and you really should read it. It's great. As far as other books coming down the pipe, we've got a batch of stuff. Well, Image always has a batch of stuff coming out that's pretty cool. Um... So, I mean, that's really neat. They just finished Plush, which is a really messed up story to do with furries and wicked sheriffs, I guess, is what you'd call it. It is definitely not a kid's book. It's a, yeah, it's kind of a mess. And it's great. A new one coming out in about two months from uh, Image is going to be Void Rivals. Uh, it is by Robert Kirkman. And so what the book's about it seems like, okay, from, from the write-up, we're dealing with these two different factions that have been battling a never-ending war around a black hole, and our main character is from one race, and he crashes on this deserted, desolate planet, and it turns out that a member from the other race has crashed on the same planet, and these two enemies must find a way to escape together to avoid being pulled into the black hole while trapped on this strange planet. So the write-up reminds me heavily of a movie called Enemy Mind. Or Enemy Mine? 
Enemy Mine, that's right, Mine, like M-I-N-E, that starred Dennis Quaid, came out, oh gosh, I don't know, back in the 80s. It was about a spaceman, Earthling, crashed on a alien planet and then an alien that was crashed there too and the two have to work together there's it's it was actually based off a much older story that had to do with an indian and a cowboy and i cannot remember the name of the story it was a modernization of that anyway this concept sounds a lot like that uh but the technology pieces and like we see that robot hand of his that is his robot glove basically saved the pilot from dying which is pretty cool I don't know. I think it'll be neat. Robert Kirkman, good writer, you know. Story-wise, I think that'll be a neat one. It's a mini-series, so I think that should be pretty cool. And the last one I'll throw at you is a book to watch. Um, if you are aware of Svengoolie, which if you're not, you should really get acquainted, um, Frank Miller Presents is going to be bringing out a... Uh, it looks like they're doing it as a one-shot um, for Svengoolie. Uh, the titling on it is Svengoolie Lost in Time. And uh, it's a it's a 48 page issue, uh, and Sfinguli, what he is is he's a well he's a late night horror host like horror movie host. He's funny. So think like uh, well he's not the same as Elvira, Elvira, and not the same as Gilbert Godfrey from the Up All Night stuff, but uh, a very similar thing. I mean he's on MeTV. Uh, anyway, but yeah he uh, he's one of those late night movie hosts, and this particular book's about him being trapped in time. So uh, it should be fantastic. If you're a Svengoolie fan, then I think you'll like it. Um, and they they did do a Svengoolie meets the Justice League thing about, I don't know, two or three years ago? Five years ago, maybe? Where in the back of a bunch of the Justice League books, they had a two or three page like short story where he met different characters. Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. I can't remember who all he met. Anyway, if you saw those... At the back is the, is those insert stories in those books. It's the dude in the top hat with the painted on beard. Carries around rubber chickens? I don't know. It's one of those things. Either you're, either you're about it or you're not. You know, just like Kamen Rider or, you know, Godzilla. Anyway, which, with that in mind, there's gonna be a Shin Kamen Rider, which I did mention last episode, uh, I think towards the end. Anyway, uh, that's all I got. I gotta stop. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, stick around. We're trying to get things back on track to be a little more normal. So you don't just have to put up with me. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. Go to our website, the top five comics podcast.com. Uh, you can check out all the other shows that some of them that I don't even have anything to do with. Um, but yeah, anyway, appreciate your patronage. And uh, until next time, Taki. Taki.